Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Brett Bowman. And Brett's background is in high tech, where he's managed multi-million dollar budgets in hybrid corporate finance and large-scale program management roles. Currently, he is Suncrest Capital's chief investment officer, where they've partnered with investors to build a portfolio of over 24 properties, including mobile home and RV communities with over 1,200 units. He's been investing for over 14 years personally and has acquired over $50 million in assets across single-family rentals, multifamily, industrial, and mobile home communities. So, Brett, it's a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing? Thanks, Eileen. I'm uh, doing great. It's been yeah, loving the summer. Sad that it's almost over, but doing great. I How know. Same here. It's surprising that we're already like towards the tail end of the year right now. And to me, it's like, I feel like 2023 just started. <laughs> no, it goes faster every year, right? It, just, it does. It's quicker and quicker. I read somewhere where they said the reason when you're younger, right? When you're younger, the time that you're living in seems to be so much longer, like your days seems to be so much longer. And as you get older, the days and the years, the months start to get slower or faster and faster. And it seems like time moves so quickly because when you're younger, the perception of how long you've lived in comparison to when you're older is so much different. Like when you're four years old, your perception of time is only four years of life. As right. you get older, you have 50 years of life. And then that just seems so much longer in comparison to like one year, one month. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting way. I never thought about it that way. It makes perfect sense to, for sure. So it's kind of depressing in a way too. <laughs> it gets faster and faster. <laughs> but like as you need more time, it's faster, right? Right. It's really just perception really, but it feels real. So. <laughs> so Brett, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said before, I've been in high tech. I'm actually still in high tech. So I have a full-time job in high tech. So kind of my, my background decade or so ago, I started getting into single family rentals. So I started buying some single family rentals of my own. I was getting to a point where I was ready to start getting duplexes and fourplexes when I started networking with some other people. And kind of a couple of things happened at the same time. At my company, we have a massive Slack channel. I think a lot of tech workers are familiar with Slack. It's just basically a big application where you can talk about anything. Most of them are work-related, but sometimes you have interest related. So I encourage anybody that's still working, check out Slack, check out your company Slack channels because my company has 6,000 or so people that all we do is talk about real estate in the Slack channel. So from that, I learned a lot about things like syndications and passive investing and all sorts of cool things like that. And then on the side, I was also starting to network with some folks that were doing mobile home parks. And so rather than getting into duplexes and fourplexes, I started looking at joint venture opportunities to kind of get my feet wet in a mobile home community. So my first acquisition was actually with my current partner, Ryan. He already owned a small mobile home community in the Kansas City area that I think had about 20, 22 pads. And he had just gotten home from visiting it. As he was there, he noticed another park about a mile away that was for sale. And the only marketing was a sign up front. That was it. So it was essentially off market because nothing was online about it. And so he didn't have capital. I had some capital. We brought in a third partner that also had some capital. So we made the down payment and a little bit of capital to just bring in homes. And that was kind of my first foray into it. 
and I should have some kind of diagram here or something because I kind of had this parallel life where I was starting to learn about these syndications. And I started working with three different groups that were all doing syndications. And with my corporate finance background, I very quickly learned how to do underwriting. And so I would do that for these groups. So I would just come in as a junior partner. And in some cases, no compensation whatsoever. It was just pure reciprocal mentorship where I was doing underwriting for them. I was starting to do legal subscription documents for them. And in the meantime, I was learning how to do things like investor relations, operations, acquisitions, due diligence, all that kind of stuff. So I learned a ton in kind of both of these parallel tracks. And then with my partner, Ryan, we found this portfolio of communities that were on market in the Des Moines area. So just a couple hours north of Kansas City, we'd already built a strong team in Kansas City. We felt we could naturally scale to Des Moines. And we ended up doing a syndication and could go into more detail here, but we didn't have any investors at the time and we needed $3 million for it to be able to do the down payment and kind of the capital improvements. So we brought in some co-partners that were supposed to raise it for us and they backed out last minute. And miraculously, we still got the, got the deal done. And honestly, it feels like every syndication we've done since then has kind of felt the same way where we were relying on someone that backed out late in the game and we still got it done. So at the end of the day, we pride ourselves on grit. We just do whatever it takes to get stuff done. And that you know, time and time again is how we've gotten to where we are. Still working hard to get to where we want to be, but we're a lot of really good learnings along the way. So I want to go back a little bit because there was so much in that time frame that you've been able yeah. to do to where you are now. But thank you for the overview. So when you first started, you're still working uh, your full-time job right now. But when you first started to buy your single family rentals, you're working at a good company, making good earnings. Why get into real estate in the first place? And then why single family rentals at that first stage of your real estate investing journey? Sure, sure. I know this is going to come as a shock, but as a teenager, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I know you've probably never even heard of that book, <laughs> but so it's always been on my radar that I needed to get into to real estate. And really there were three things that appealed to me. One was the tax benefits of real estate. Two was the ability to leverage. So being able to buy and use somebody else's money to be able to buy something that otherwise you wouldn't be able to pay for. And then with your little down payment, that grows so much more exponentially because you're the value of the property is increasing. It's only your down payment that really you're concerned about multiplying. And so it just happens so much faster, right? And then the third is, of course, passive cash flow or passive income that I really enjoyed from the real estate. So I started, like you said, I started getting single family homes. And I think my first single family home, I only needed about $30,000 down, including the rehab that we did on it. And we started making about $500 a month in cash flow on just the single family rental. I never find properties that good anymore, but that was pretty cool to just like right off the bat get into something like that because it was really good cash on cash return. So obviously that got me interested in it. And a lot like some of your other guests, the high income is great, but it's not something you can always rely on. I'm still selling my hours to someone else, right? So I want to be able to continue to replace my own income passively so that one day I can not have to work all day long to be able to replace my income. So when you started attending or looking at the Slack channel at work and you're going through the comments and the community over there, what about the mobile home parks piqued your interest for you to start diving into that space? Yeah, good question. So interestingly, there isn't as many people interested in mobile home communities in my Slack channel. So I didn't really learn as much through that. What I was learning through the Slack channel was more of the fundamentals of syndications and 
just real estate stuff in general and hearing people's horror stories, hearing people's wins, things like that. We're like just very, very educational. We have a weekly meetup and webinars we do for each other, things like that. So that's all been super educational. Where I learned more about the mobile home communities was more my local like group, networking group. Honestly, the first time I heard about the idea of investing, I was playing an ultimate Frisbee game of all things. And, and someone mentioned mobile home community trailer parks. Who wants to do that? And in my head, I think this is normal for all of us. You want to buy stuff that you want to post it on Instagram and see this like five-star hotel I just bought. I'm successful. It's amazing. And you're never going to get that from most of these mobile home parks because even the nice mobile home parks are still at the end of the day, mobile home parks, right? And so we've got some gorgeous ones that have pools and clubhouses and stuff, but they're still not the kind of property that's going to compete with like a five-star hotel. But at the same time, holy cow, they're amazing investments. They're one of the investments that you can add force appreciation to more than any other investment that I'm aware of, because there's just unlimited ability or possibilities for increasing the income and increasing the lot count, adding an ancillary income. And you know, I can get into all the specifics, but once I started diving into that, I got over the attraction that the appearance of it pretty quickly because the investment is there. Sometimes when we're getting started in real estate, there's a lot of hesitancy, especially getting to a new asset class. It might be, let me analyze it some more. Some people get into the analysis paralysis mode. As you studied and did your due diligence and you looked at that first deal where you and I think you said two other partners had joined together and purchased that first mobile home park, what about it gave you the confidence to move forward with this deal and to take it from start to finish? Yeah. So one thing that I did then, and I still do now on every deal is I look at, okay, if we change nothing, if nothing changes, what does the cash flow look like? I've worked with some operators that kind of ignore the day one and they look at what does this look like in 12 months? And this, frankly, it's hubris to assume that in 12 months, you're going to be able to turn something around. Obviously we all want to assume that we want to look at the best case scenarios, but Let's look at what if nothing changes, how are we doing? Are we even paying the mortgage? Because honestly, a lot of underwriting models, if you look at them day one, they're not making the mortgage payments. And that's scary to me. So with this one, what was really reassuring to me is right off the bat, we were making about 7 or 8% cash on cash without changing a single thing. And then every time we added a new home or two, it increased the value about forty dollars to $50,000 intrinsically based on cap rate and new NOI uh, growth. And for that area, we were also able to do test ads, which is something I talk a little bit more about, but essentially we were able to test the demand in the area, which is something that's hard to do in some asset classes, but in mobile home communities, it's actually quite easy. You just essentially list a home for sale in that community or in that general vicinity, and you can kind of test the response rate and how what the interest looks like, which we found to correlate really well to real life as well. So there's a lot of ways to de-risk an asset just by doing the research. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So when you're walking the property and you're looking at the potential value add opportunities, 
what are some of the different assessments that you look at to determine how many units you're able to add onto that property? What are some of the other value add components you can perform on this property to bring up the value? What are some of those steps and processes? What does that look like? Sure. Yeah. Good question. So there are a few kind of low hanging value adds that are easier to identify than others. So for example, what we like to see is 100 pad community, at least, that maybe has 10 to 20 pads that are vacant. And then we can test the demand. Okay. Is there a reason that they're vacant? Like maybe there's not enough demand here or there is high demand. It just the operator hasn't infilled them yet. And if that's the case, those are amazing to buy because you can fill homes in and they'll sell fairly quickly. So every time, like I said before, depending on your lot rent, every time you bring in a home, you're increasing the value 50 to 100,000 even sometimes got the right lot rent. The other big one that we love to do is submetering. So I'm sure you're familiar with rubs with mobile home communities. It's pretty easy to buy third-party submeters that you put on each pad. And some of these companies, we use one called Metron, actually have wireless chips that integrate with your property management software. And so every month, it just automatically flows over to the billing statement to show the tenant how much they owe for water. And so we, for example, just bought a large portfolio in October, and it was 465 lots, about 415 of those were occupied. So fairly high occupancy rate. They had really great collections, about 95, 96% collections, but the operator was paying 100% of all the utilities. And so what we did is immediately we came in and submetered within about two months, we had all of the community submetered and right away that bumped up our cash on cash tremendously because, you know, some of those communities are paying 20 to $30,000 in water every month. So if you're able to recapture 16 to $18,000 of that per month, that's immediate profit. So that's a huge one. When you say pad, is that just a lot? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So Lots, pads, those are typically, yeah. So you'll have how many lots, right? So you have to work with the local municipality. And we always get a zoning letter when we close. So we actually have a signed letter from the city, depending on which group it is at the city, that confirms how many lots we have. So we have in writing, we're set in stone what we can actually put in there. And generally, you can do eight pads or eight lots per acre, depending on the municipality. Sometimes it's a little less than that, but eight is usually what you can get. And then you just have to make sure that you've got the appropriate zoning for that. So one of the things you also mentioned was during this time, as you were purchasing this mobile home, you were also doing some syndications and you were working with a couple other different groups as well. What got you into that space and how did you bounce around and manage between the mobile home and then the syndications and your full-time job? Yes. Great questions. Side note, I also have six kids. So Six kids. Wow. (laughs) What is the range? Right. Our oldest is 10 and we just, our youngest just turned two last week. Oh my goodness. Um, Yes. That is a full house and a full of activities. (laughs) For sure. For sure. So step one is have an amazing wife that's super supportive. And honestly, I'm fortunate to work from home too, which makes it easy because I don't lose time on commuting, which is helpful. I have a really strong team starting with my partner that's full-time. He actually quit his day job about 18 months ago. So he's been full-time. We have six other full-time employees. Plus some amazing virtual assistants that are based in the Philippines and India that just do a ton of really cool things for us. So we have really with all of that, it comes down to processes and systems and that kind of stuff makes it big. Answering your other questions about the syndication. So I don't work with those partners in the same way anymore, but they were really great initially at teaching me lots of things. So I had one partner who's actually based here in Boise like me that I remember the first time I met him was at 7 a.m. on New Year's morning, which was a Saturday that year. And I thought he was nuts that he was having me come in his office Saturday, New Year's morning. 
but it just showed the lot about his work ethic and his priorities and what he was willing to do and invest time in, in me. And he wasn't a finance guy. So he really loved that I could come in and help him out with the underwriting. And so he really took me under his wing and taught me tons of stuff as far as like working with investors, working with capital, working with banks, what to look for with properties, all those kinds of things. Honestly, and coming back to your other question of like, how do you get the first deal? It's hard to do it on your own the very first time. You've always got to have someone, if not a partner, at least a mentor that can kind of teach you step-by-step what to do because you're going to miss stuff. Even with the best partner or best mentor, you're going to miss something. And so you just learn more every time. Did I answer your question? I feel like I've rambled a little bit there. <laughs> yes. And to kind of follow up with that though, because now we've learned you have six kids as on top of uh-huh. everything that you do. <laughs> what drives you to continuously push forward taking on these different acquisitions, working on these different opportunities, working your full-time job? What continues to drive you to and motivate you to continue to take on these different opportunities and essentially workload? Yeah, great question. So there's kind of two things and they both really come down to my kids, honestly. So the first is, I this is going to sound cheesy, but I love the idea of being able to leave a legacy for my kids that they can grow into. I don't want them to be lazy or inherit anything by any means, but I want them to be able to work hard, learn the value of work, and also have something that they can work with as far as like the company that we're building. Along that, the lines, my partner has a 17-year-old kid that has been working with us for a few years now. So I saw him at 13 and 14 working on mobile homes and like helping us rehab them. And which is amazing. I'm jealous that he has kids that are like old enough to be able to benefit that way. But my kids will get there. And I love that. The second is that eventually I want to be able to get to a point where I can leave my full-time job and be able to have the passive cash flow and income that I continue to maintain the lifestyle and support kids in college and all those kinds of things. And I really don't know of any better way than real estate. So those are kind of the two big things that motivate me. What is one of the best deals that you've done? And what is one of the worst deals that you've maybe have done? Sure. Actually, both of them are in the same market. We have 10 mobile home communities that are located in the Springfield, Missouri market. So as you mentioned before, we have 24, but almost half of them are in the same market down in Springfield. We love that market for a lot of reasons. Best deal we've done, it was probably the one we, like I mentioned before, bought a big play in October, included six communities, 465 parks. 465 lots. Those all six parks are doing amazing. They've got really great cash on cash returns. One in particular that's just really incredible (laughs) of those six is a direct build, which means that the water, sewer, trash, and electric are all handled by the city. So none of that hits us. In most cases, I mean, almost every park I look like, I look at at least one of those utilities is paid first by the park. Whether the park then submeters or passes on the bill to the tenants varies widely, but at some point they're almost always paid by the park. In this case, nothing is paid by the park. So your only expenses are the property manager, maybe some maintenance, which is a relatively new park. So we have already know that. So to give you an idea, Eileen, we typically see 40% expense ratios on mobile home parks. This is 17% expense ratio. So it's just profiting like crazy on this thing. And in a way, it was undervalued for us because we were buying it as a portfolio. And that expense ratio was kind of hidden across all of the others because we were looking at a blended expense ratio for the portfolio. So that one was just this hidden gem in a way. So that was great. The other one that hasn't been so great was we purchased it just over two years ago, also in Springfield. And it was one of those parks where we knew we were going to have some major issues. We came in, we knew we had a few sex offenders, for example. We knew we had some drug issues. 
We knew that there were water, sewer, and electric infrastructure issues. So we came in, explained the vision to our investors, explained, got the right budget, got the right partnerships with the city and some contractors. And then once we closed, we got to work. Well, some of the things went wrong. First, the biggest one was we had anticipated heavy vacancy the first year or so because we were going to be evicting sex offenders and drug people, but it was way worse than we expected. The vacancy dropped way more. And then the other part was that we, again, had anticipated replacing the water and sewer infrastructure, and some of those costs ran up way faster than we expected as well, where, for example, the city had some fees for connecting, and we had to go through limestone, which we didn't know about. And so like trenching through limestone is a lot more expensive. And so some of those things kind of hurt us initially. But fortunately, we were able to negotiate some changes to the design plan with the city. So for example, they initially were going to require us to do curbing and new asphalt and fire hydrants. And by kind of explaining the benefits of coming to city water, by the way, I didn't explain before, we were on septic and city, uh, septic and well, and we converted to city water and sewer in this situation. So we were able to agree that even if we didn't do all of these things the city wanted, it still was better for everybody just to get us on city water. And they ended up laxing a lot of the requirements for us. So we were able to come in still over budget, but not nearly as much. So that park is turning around. We've been able to get it back up to about 70% occupied. We've got several homes we're installing right now that will, once they're sold, will be closer to 80 or 90% occupied. So we're getting there, but it's been a headache. And my team will tell you of the 24 parks we spend half our time talking about that one, I think. And I think it's the case for everybody, but we won't let it go. We're going to make sure it's successful. And we tell our investors that all the time. They know we're working hard on it. So what is next for you? Well, so we've been really happy with that acquisition we made in October. We haven't made any acquisitions since then, but we have two under contract right now. One is actually a long-term RV park that we're really excited about down in the New Orleans market. And then another one, actually, I said on your contract, but we just had the letter of intent agreed to yesterday. So we're still actually working on the contract. So I think that'll probably close in November or December. But it's here in the Idaho area, about two hours from us. And you're familiar with Tahoe, I'm sure, up in the Bay Area. I know you're in Orange County, but uh, there's a place in Boise or in the Idaho area called Cascade or McCall. And it's kind of like a Tahoe area for us where everybody vacations to. And it's this new uh, RV park that's got cool lodge and short-term, long-term rentals. And so we're really excited about that one. We're getting it off market with some seller financing in it. So I think that'll be a really good one for us. So we love mobile home communities. We've started to shift a little bit more to RV parks just to make sure we're finding the right returns because I think mobile home communities have been discovered for the most part. So we're still looking for them, but they're harder to find. And how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, some of what I've mentioned already, I think the big impacts that I've had so far, because I, I am getting cash flow, that's starting to grow, which is amazing. I'm a ways away from being able to replace the full salary, but I can see that on the horizon. So as far as immediate impacts, I think it's been the lessons I've been able to ch- teach my children about work ethic, on-the-job finance. I love teaching them about finances and just personal finances, how to manage a budget, things like that, and be able to show them like real-world Real estate stuff is just really fun to kind of get them into the details and get them involved in that. And so what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I mentioned before, I kind of accused other operators of being arrogant and thinking, oh, well, this thing isn't a good investment now, but in two years, it's going to be amazing. And that's all that matters. I think it's honestly, all of us make that mistake of thinking, okay, well, who cares what it looks like now? We're going to fix it, right? We're going to have really optimistic. What I wish I knew... 
three, four years ago that I know now is that in no case do you want to buy something negative cash flow. You always want to make sure you've got positive cash flow day one. And so now we have a hard rule that no matter what things look like in the next year or two, day one, if no changes happen, we have to have at least 4% cash on cash. And that's a very bare minimum. We want to have higher than that. So I would tell myself, uh, do not ever break this rule. This is important. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think at the end of the day, it's like I mentioned for grit. It's really just sticking with it. I know a lot of your guests have mentioned this before. You're always going to have hard times that are going to come, whether it's when you're buying the property or when you're operating the party or having to evict somebody that's you're going the whole nine miles on getting them evicted and they're fighting it back. All those things can be challenging. And so just making sure that you're up for that. And at the end of the day, you see the future, you've got your vision, you're holding strong to it. Just push through no matter what's going on, because what sets people apart. So Brett, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, probably the best way is our website. It's just Sun. So we're Suncrest Capital. The website is suncrestcap, short for capital.com. My email is Brett, so B R E T T with two T's at suncrestcap.com. I'm also active on LinkedIn. So any of those options are great to find us. Awesome. Brett, thank you so much for all of your time. Of course. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.